Falofalava, you're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Coming up. There is a feeling of being re traumatised. Having levied Dawn Raid's apology in 2021, former Pacific People's Minister speaks out about the latest controversial deportation case. Also, some residents in Tahiti lose everything to the recent floods they swept through this week. And later on... I think it shall not be done by the church to bring the two races uh, together. An apology that's been a long time coming for the Fijian Indian community will bring a new sense of peace. The former Minister for Pacific Peoples who led the Dawn Raids apology is calling for urgent change within Immigration New Zealand following the Dawn Raids tactics still being used in Aotearoa New Zealand. Albito William Seal told Lydia Lewis he was appalled to learn a Pacifica man was taken into custody last week in the early hours of the morning in front of his children. Lydia Lewis asked him on whether or not he knew questionable deportation practices by Immigration New Zealand were still being used. Tell me a bit about where you're at with your current role and what your future is looking like. Well, I'm still the MP for Mangere, <laughs> the gateway to the nation land of young, beautiful and gifted and home of world champions and will remain so up until a new government or elections have been concluded in October. In terms of future, I've been asked to help out by the community in a number of different areas and I've been saying yes I return to the community after finishing up with this and we'll see what happens after that. On to this week's news but we've found out that actually it's not just this week's news it is something that has been happening in Aotearoa and I wanted to know whether or not you knew and have known that out-of-hours compliance visits to private residents or dawn raids have been continuing. I, I'm aware that deportations were still continuing. Um, the Ministry of Immigration uh, was still deporting people and uh, people had raised issues with me. I was not aware of of when they were deporting and the kind of approach that the Ministry of, Edu- of Immigration was undertaken until um, more recent news became public. What was your reaction when you saw that news? Oh, it was appalling, really appalling. Um, I would describe it as wasoli lemar, meaning that the way that immigration have conducted their the use of their powers of deportation have trampled on a very special relationship, um, which is with our Pacific communities of Aotearoa. Can you give me some context here for those listening who don't know what a dawn raid is to start with and how this re-traumatises Pacifica community members who have been an integral part of Aotearoa for generations? Well, gosh, um, I mean, I've had discussions with... uh, colleagues, and you're absolutely right, uh, there is a feeling of being re-traumatized, and it's being, you know, what happened in the 1970s, my own personal experience, was, you know, out of the out of the darkness, you had these big doorknobs with police and officials and dogs barking and crossing at the mouth, and we, those of us 
whose house they were knocking on were, you know, were just waking up, not sure what was going on. So I'm not sure what the details are, other than what's been on the report in the uh, recent case. But I imagine they would have been feeling, you know, the trauma as we, those of us who experienced it in 1970, went through. You know, I'm just gutted that um, the Ministry of Immigration does not seem to have understood uh, at all the principles that the Ministry of Infect um, are using as guiding principles for the engagement in our region, manaakitanga, kaitiakitanga, arohatanga, and their actions as if this is what the reports are saying, just appalling, unacceptable. And um, as of this week, we've, I've spoken myself, our Pacific Caucus have spoken to the Minister of Immigration, I've spoken to both the Minister of Pacific Peoples and the Deputy Prime Minister, and all of them um, feel the same way. That's the strong message that the Minister of Immigration has now conveyed to the immigration officials. I asked the minister, the current Minister of Immigration, what he would do about this in his very first week in this job. He inherited it. He said he would look into it. Do you believe he has what it takes to tackle this issue? Or do you believe he should step aside and let someone who does understand take on this issue? I have faith that um, Minister Woods um, is somebody from South Auckland, that we have worked together on a number of issues, that he understands what's at stake here, and that, um, you know, that he will pursue that. What is at stake? uh, What's at stake is a relationship, a relationship that's sacred, a relationship that Jacinda Ardern had when she was... um, when we conducted the former uh, two years ago, made a commitment that we would kill the bar, that we would protect and strengthen our relationship. And the actions here by immigration trample on that relationship. Um, you know, any talk about the minister stepping down, that's not my fault. That's, that's a decision that somebody else has to make. But from where I sit, I think Minister Woods understands the issue and he understands it firmly from from our discussions. Have you spoken with the former Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern this week? No, I haven't. Tell me about what this was supposed to be, what, what the apology was supposed to be, and what the revelations this week have done to this legacy. Well, they're two separate things, Lydia. Uh, the apology stands. Um, it was delivered in the way that I believe was appropriate to begin uh, the restrengthening of a relationship and to begin the process of healing. Here, you have officials of immigration that are still behaving in, in, a, in a way that is now being uh, described by our Pacific communities as colonialism, attitudes that, has, that is culturally lacking of cultural intelligence, and, and I think immigration needs to address that immediately. And I think the role for myself and other politicians is to ensure that they do so 
and the work that they were supposed to be working on and advising government on in the future of immigration in the Pacific community, they need to speed that up as quickly as possible. What needs to be done? Well, on Saturday, um, my understanding is that the officials from immigration will front up to a community meeting. Um, and I think it's also appropriate for ministers to front up and and um, to make sure that we are standing with the community and that we're giving strong direction to the Ministry of Immigration about how they better do their job and people relationships. A public meeting is being held on Saturday in Auckland, led by the Tongan community, in an effort to prompt change. The French Polynesian government has adopted a decree of natural disaster after extensive flooding in the village of Tiahupo, Tahiti, earlier this week. The flood swept several cars out to sea. Caleb Fotheringham has more. Oh my God. Oh my God. The torrential downpour that pelted Tehopo on Monday morning led to a blockage of the village's river, eventually overflowing and flooding the area. A spokesperson for French Polynesia's Council of Ministers says the exceptional meteorological phenomenon caused widespread damages. 48 families were identified in need of care, with 29 other families seeking replacements for domestic appliances. The estimated cost of damages was two hundred and eighty thousand US dollars. An additional one million is needed for ten new homes. Tehopo resident Hinatea Bozi was one of the people who lost her car. I lived there for like six years now and it never happened before. And according to most of the families who are originally from there, never ever saw this. She says some people have lost everything. Nobody got hurt bad. But all the houses were underwater. Everything was damaged inside. So the big work that we're going to try to do now is to clean all the houses and then get any help from anyone. Tehopo is a small village in the south of Tahiti and is best known as a world-class surf spot and will host the surfing event for the 2024 Paris Olympics. Professional surfers were in the area at the time of the flooding, chasing what forecasters predicted to be a once-in-a-decade swell. Tehopo local and professional surfer Matahi Droulette was there and assessed the damage on his jet ski. There was so much trash in the lagoon, like it was hard to navigate through uh, all the dirt. And then when I got around the surf spot, I seen like four cars on the reef. He says the village was well acquainted with heavy rain and thought the flooding scene on Monday was impossible. Tiahupo is the Tahitian town that's the most used to the rain. You know, it always rains there because the main wind hits Tiahupo first, so it brings all the cloud there. And then we have like super steep mountains that keep all the clouds like above Tiahupo. So we're like the rainiest town in Tahiti. So... I always thought that Tiahupo was used to the rain and all the river were like perfectly draining all the water. Tahiti radio station Radio 1 reports French Navy divers will search and remove submerged vehicles from the lagoon. The Methodist Church of Fiji is seeking forgiveness from the descendants of Grametias for the transgressions of the last 36 years. The racially motivated violence of the coups of 1987, 2000 and 2006 led to years of discrimination and division within the country. 
As Rachel Nath reports, these crews were supported by the church's then leadership. The country marks 144 years since the arrival of the first of more than 60,000 indentured labourers, or girmeteers as they came to be known, who were brought in by the British colonial government to work in plantations across Fiji. In a historic move, the church is officially calling for this tracial division to end by holding a national reconciliation service. The Methodist Church of Fiji acknowledging the past to make way for the future. The time is right to set a campaign for a national reconciliation and give the people of all races the chance to confess their weaknesses and seek forgiveness from those they regard as their enemies. We strongly believe that uh, by confession, with contrite hearts and humility, our transgression can be forgiven. Reverend Ilivuni Sawai is leading the official apology as the head of the Methodist Church. As we look back uh, to the dark days of uh, social upheavals, of coups of 1987-2000, as well as 2006 and other unfolding events uh, of hatred and discrimination, which uh, resulted in fear and uncertainties. And I think uh, there's a lot uh, to be done by the church to bring the two races uh, together. Chair of the Girmit Celebration, Sashi Kieran, says there will be a new season of peace for the nation. I'm very, very touched at the strength of the committee, of the leadership of the Methodist Church, that they're willing to look at you know, the problem in the eye and say, well, let's talk about it. We apologize. We can't change the past, but we hurt for the sorrow. We're sorry for the hurts that we have. While Kieran accepts the apology, she acknowledges that many in the Fijian Indian community may not be ready. Uh, We acknowledge the pain of the past. And for the future generation, we ask you to please open your hearts uh, and open your uh, you know, inner feelings, and let's talk about it and let's work on healing and come into that space. Prime Minister Mr. Sitiveni Rambuka, who has publicly apologised for his actions repeatedly, recognises that many still remember the dark history that intensified his widely known reputation of being notorious. That man that we didn't want to know about, we shied away from his name, addressed us, He does not bite. He's not an angry young man. He's just an old man who understands the feelings of the descendants of the Bigirmetiers who are now his age, looking at their children and grandchildren growing up in the land they now call home. So why has it taken the church 36 years to arrive here? Current government has uh, allowed uh, the celebration of Girmitiers. Probably a good time for national reconciliation regarding all the upheavals of the past uh, few years, 30 years or so. The church is establishing a 10-year reconciliation effort with an apology as the starting point. 
The official Gurmit Week celebration kicks off on May 8th local time, marking 144 years since the arrival of the Gurmitiers to the shores of Fiji. There's a call in Papua New Guinea for reform at the country's troubled electricity utility PNG Power. PNG Power has been in financial strife for years, but this week independent power producers threatened to stop providing the utility with power to distribute because of debts they say amount to 142 million US dollars. Don Wiseman spoke with the president of the Port Moresby Chamber of Commerce and Industry, Rio Fioko, about the impacts of the poor power service. He says they have significant issues in the capital, but it's worse in other centres. In the more rural towns which rely on diesel power, some of the towns like Weewak, KVN, have not been uh, having any power during the day and only a few hours at night because PNG Power doesn't have the money to pay the, the diesel. And the power for Port Moresby is hydro. It's a mix of hydro and gas these days. But the problem is not so much the availability of the power. The problem now is one of the, the poles and wires, the distribution. The, the poles and wires have been here for many years now. Uh, the population has uh, doubled or tripled in the last 10 years. And there's been very little money available for maintenance on the, on the poles and distribution network. And uh, that's where the constant breakdowns are happening. It's not that we don't have enough power being supplied by the power suppliers, but it's uh, the poles and wires is the problem. Why is PNG Power struggling so much? Well, there's a number of reasons. A lack of the investment into the uh, power sector over many, many years is one. Secondly, the government is a big consumer of power, probably their biggest customer, and the government itself here is very slow in paying the power bills. And the third problem is it's estimated that possibly up to 30% and maybe even a bit more of the power is being stolen by unscrupulous uh, vendors and others who uh, adjust their power meters so that they don't pay any power. And we've had this week people who provide, the companies that provide the diesel, saying you're not getting any more because you're not paying the bills. Yes, uh, the independent power producers, and there are a number of them now supplying uh, gas power to uh, the network in particular, have not been getting paid for quite some time now. And they estimate those bills are up to about 500 million kina, which is a lot of money. So, Rio, you're a businessman. What's the solution here? It's very complicated. PNG Power, as a state-owned enterprise, badly needs reform. The various donor countries, uh, our bilateral partners, are all very keen to assist, in, uh, particularly in the provision of green energy, hydropower, and also mainly solar power. But you've got the fundamental problem that the network is broken, and uh, same with, and the company is possibly uh, insolvent. So it needs a capital injection, it needs new manpower and it needs new ideas from the board of directors to, to get the company afloat again. And what sign is there that's about to happen? Well, the Minister of State and Enterprises, uh, Honourable William Doomer, did say in Parliament uh, a month or so ago that they are working on it and they have a plan and things will be better by the end of the year. But the problem, of course, is we don't have time. The, the, the network is going down every day and as I said, in, in, in most of the rural towns in PNG, they will not be getting power for most of the day and only a few hours at night if they're lucky. 
That's Pacific Waves for today. To listen back, head over to rnzi.com slash programs, or you can download us on Spotify, iHeart, or Apple Podcasts. From myself and the team here at RNZ Pacific, to Fast Way 4.